Hi there, this is Wafa Al-Abedat. You are listening to the Women Power Podcast, a subsidiary platform to the Women Power Summit, the largest event in MENA, with the aim of empowering women and helping them achieve their absolute highest potential. Each week on the Women Power Podcast, you will hear honest, vulnerable, authentic, real conversations from inspiring women. These women will share their experiences and stories into what it takes to build a successful business and career. The podcast will share insight and inspiration and hopefully inspire action and lead change. Danielle Green is an award-winning creator in the fashion, beauty, lifestyle and wedding industries. She is a branding consultant with a niche in art direction under her own agency and master photographer and owner of Leos, an adventure photography company based in the United States. Her work has been featured in numerous publications including Southern Living, Martha Stewart, British Vogue and Bright Magazines to name a few. Danielle featured in the new Netflix docu-series called The Most Hated Man on the Internet, where she tells her own horrific story of non-consensual intimate image abuse online. She is also the founder of Victor by Danielle Green, a streetwear fashion collection dedicated to the empowerment of victims of abuse and systematic oppression. Welcome, Danielle. You already have fascinated me uh, before we started this podcast. You said that you know you you see beauty in the things you know that you know with the people that you work with especially as a photographer can you tell me about um when you realized this was a gift like when did this happen where you realized like i have a filter and i can see positive or beautiful things gosh i think i had to be in kindergarten like really small uh i won my first art contest and I didn't know it was an art contest I just made some art in my art class and it was like a mixed media piece right and so I got fabric and I painted like a woman which it was like you know a little kid painting of a woman and I glued and I put this um fabric on her and I created a, a bride right so a wedding gown and I I just I you know and maybe it came from you know, growing up watching Disney movies or, you know what I mean? Who knows? But, um, I don't know. I, after that, I just started looking, you know, I had an obsession with looking at editorials and fashion magazines, which I, I later found to be, uh, kind of toxic, really, and oppressive towards women now, now in my thirties. But back then it inspired me. Um, and I was really intrigued by the stories behind them. So, um, I don't know. I started to, I don't know. I started to realize that maybe I think in kindergarten. And then as I got older, even like 12 or 13, I started doing makeup on girls. Like I was on the basketball team and I would braid girls hair, you know, when we were going to our games or I would, you know, put makeup on people. You know, I was always trying to like, and then even in eighth grade, I would sit there and imagine all my friends and I would imagine the most beautiful gown on them and I would draw them with a gown on them, you know, so. Can you tell me what you studied? So you obviously went into the creative space, but what did you study in college? So I went to, actually, I went to university for a year. I got a full paid academic scholarship. I tested really well in grades and um, I was very ambitious, but I realized at university, I, I was, my soul was dying. <laughs> so I, I went to fashion school, actually. I, I wanted to be a gown designer, you know, always drawing those gowns. And so I ended up moving to LA and I went and studied fashion for, um, a year and a half there. And then I ended up, so, and in doing my research too, I found out, you know, this is, 
kind of a stigma too um, in some areas of Mina, but I ended up getting pregnant as a single mom. I didn't have help. The The guy I was with just decided not to be a part of it. And um, so I had to make a decision. So I, I moved home. I moved way back to the middle of America where I live, like in the middle of the USA, um, in a little farm town in the middle of nowhere. And I had my baby and I worked three jobs to try to figure out how to get myself into a better position and um it took me about 10 years to get on my feet after that but I still I studied online I enrolled in fashion school online I took I I took uh fashion courses for like the next eight years part-time so what was the darkest period in your life during that time because I can't even imagine being a young mom being a single mom um, not being able to finish school but also trying to work at the same time like how did you manage that emotionally I didn't manage it very well emotionally because I didn't have the skill set. I didn't understand. I, I think I was, um, I don't know, but I will say this. I was extremely driven. I was determined. Um, I had grit. That's one thing I have. <laughs> so I knew, I, I saw, I, I, I always told myself I was going to do, I was going to do something big in this world, something to change the world. This is something I always felt like since I was a little girl. And I was like, I have to get out. Like, I didn't feel, I felt like I couldn't breathe in a little town. So I knew that I had to just climb my way out of that hole no matter what and um, without sacrificing my integrity, right? Um, so, you know, I had offers from men, you know, in the fashion industry. You know, if you'll just date me without strings attached, I'll, you know, give you your first line. And I was like, you know what? I would rather, he's like, I will take you to Milan. I'll do all these things. And I'm like, you know what? I would rather struggle and work at the restaurant than have to do that. So you, you chose yourself and you chose integrity. I really respect that. What, uh, um, what were some of your like coping mechanisms? Like, did you do something for yourself? Did you meditate? Did you um, read? Like what kind of got you through that just challenging time? I traveled for work. So I was a I was a makeup artist at the time and I started my own makeup artistry business. And then I, I was also a national makeup artist and educator. So I got to fly around. I got to go to New York Fashion Week. I got to, you know, I was over, I think, three or four different states. So I started traveling in the states to different states to teach makeup. And um, that's when I really started connecting with women all over and feeling, you know, that connection of... of uh, creating, like cultivating a community. And um, I be, actually got to be a guest speaker at L'Oreal's headquarters here at the time. This was before they had YouTube influencers. So I was, you know, a local influencer at the time. Um, so that, that was exciting for me. And then, um, then I, I decided it, it wasn't enough. So I transitioned into photography and really found my passion there. Makeup is so fascinating because it is like art. So like going back to your first art competition, this is like, it's, it's like, this is your canvas, right? So you get to paint and then you also get to have a conversation with these personalities or these different women, um, which I find so interesting. So it was makeup and then photography. Can you tell me when you had your aha moment with photography? So I was styling. I, so I was also doing styling, right? And I, I become also at the time a beauty and fashion editor for a local magazine and I I realized when I was styling 
I was basically, I set, I set the scene, you know, for commercials or styled shoots or whatever. I would set the scene. I would pull the clothing. I would do the makeup. I would tell them how to stand, where to stand. So I was doing everything except pressing the click button, right? So I just was like, you know what? I need to just try this. And to be honest, I had spent years like taking pictures because my mom always had a camera in my face, always. So we had thousands of pictures at home. So I was just used to it. It just felt natural to me. Um, and so I've been doing it for about nine years now. And I, and I have to say, going back to that beauty thing, I think my favorite part of this, and it comes from my mom because my mom is a lactation consultant. So she teaches women how to breastfeed. So she's very passionate about women and very passionate about babies. Um, and she instilled that inside me to make women feel comfortable and make women feel beautiful and I think a lot of that comes you know comes from me seeing the injustices in the world and how women are oppressed and and wanting to lift them up and just understanding what that oppression feels like myself so when did you realize that okay this could be a business so like you know you 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 experience you know your first photography I don't even know what to call it like your first shoot or whatever and then when were you like okay I can run with this I can build something out of this so it happened like kind of on an accident. So I went to my cousin's wedding and her photographer didn't show up. And I knew that like, she was like, she might or she might not. So we, me and my partner at the time, we brought our cameras. And so we took pictures of her wedding and I posted them. And I booked like 22 weddings that year after I posted the pictures. What was that like? Like being a wedding photographer? Like what is, what, what are some things we don't know about the secret life of a photographer? for weddings um i will say you work a lot harder than other people when it comes like i literally if i were to put it i probably make less than minimum wage here with the amount of work that i put in well especially in the first part of my business it took me a long time to set the standards for myself and step into a position of authority now i actually coach photographers so I, i i mentor them um so then I do business consulting for them and, and small businesses now. But uh, in the beginning, it was like, oh, my gosh, uh, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, there were little things where, you know, you were nervous, right? You were nervous to, like, be there at someone's wedding. And it was kind of awkward because you didn't know them. And now I just feel so grateful that I get to be a part of a lot of for a lot, for a lot of people, it's the best day of their life or the like, very happy day of their life. And so I get to enjoy those like intimate, beautiful moments and see people cry and see people connecting with their families. And it's just such a beautiful thing to witness. Um, it can get overwhelming. It can get super overwhelming when you have thousands and thousands and thousands of photos to edit and people are like, where's my photos? And I'm like, if I lay here and edit for the next four weeks, I won't I still won't get tears, (laughs) right? So um, I had to learn to cut back and only take a few weddings a year and up my prices. Um, I was able to do that, though. I I actually won an award here. Um, I was named one of the, basically the top new 30 wedding photographers in the world um, by Rangefinder Magazine in 2018. So that that opened up some doors for me. What about, um, let's talk about Layers, your adventure photography company. So when did layers come into the picture and why layers? When what? That was the company I started with my, he was my boyfriend at the time. And um, he was an artist. He was a mu- musician and um, great guy. We're still friends, actually. Um, 
but he, him and I were both artists. And when we got together, we started to like get really excited about creating art together. And so we knew that we wanted to do photography and then the weddings took off. But, but when we, whenever we started, we started to do it as not weddings. So we named our business layers because we thought that we would, I could bring makeup and styling to it and and he could also bring music and his video experience to it so we would have these layers of things and it would be more of like a media agency for commercial projects that's what we thought it was going to be but then it went in this other direction and um, I was super grateful that it did so what did um you 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 know to me you're an entrepreneur you're an entrepreneur with your makeup business and then as a photographer and as a consultant what have you learned about business and kind of every stage of the companies that you've basically managed so, I mean, as a whole, I'll say what, what I, my, the one thing that I focus on now that I love to teach people is branding. I love to focus on branding. One thing that I feel like I'm extraordinarily good at, um, that I can really see is how to, how to help people translate their, uh, inspiration into like a cohesive brand image or and I can I can apply I have I have a uh, I guess like a methodology that I use that I've kind of come up with on my own I started using it when I used to style people I used to do image consulting when I was a makeup artist so I would ask people to um, build me a Pinterest board of what they wanted their who who inspired them their style they didn't know how to dress for a job or they didn't know how to dress in general and they needed to figure it out and I would help translate their inspiration into so I don't know if you've ever seen the Netflix show Queer Eye I have yeah I was essentially tan that's amazing like having a good eye for branding positioning is super key I think not just to help or support other people but like in all aspects of your business I think branding and positioning is so integral to differentiating yourself from other um, competition and just like really setting your vision and your mission, your values within this look and feel of what you're building. I think it's really important for entrepreneurs to focus on this because this is what can really set them apart. And I even have this (laughs) almost verbatim on my consulting website, but it, it really does. If you have really great branding it can set you apart and establish authority in your brand positioning so when people compare you to other other people it i mean it's not fair but if they if your branding looks high end if it looks good you're going to stand out over other people it doesn't even matter if you have a better expertise or not that's why brand strategy is so important um, it's how you it's how you present yourself and I want to share a nugget of information that is crucial for this for every entrepreneur out there there is a book by Donald Miller called um, do you know what I'm talking about story brand no I haven't heard story of it. brand really oh my gosh listen you have to read the book even when I'm doing consulting with my clients I work through the Donald Miller story brand workbook with them. I make them go through it and I help them along the way Um, because I love that book so much. It helps you clarify your message. It kind of, it tells you the formula that big companies like Apple use um, 
to develop their marketing approach and clarify their message. Okay, let's let's kind of uh, rewind a little bit. So we we left off with the photographer business and layers kind of starting off as an adventure photography company, but really like doing weddings and events. And then you turn that into more of a consulting company. Again, like I love zooming in on the aha moments because they're so rare when they happen or the career pivots. But when did you realize, wow, I'm actually a really good consultant and I can build a whole company around or like a, a whole revenue or business model around coaching and consulting and advising other companies and other brands? What happened was once I won this award in 2018, I was asked to go to Las Vegas to WPPI, which is the largest uh, photography conference in the US. And people fly there from other countries. I mean, it's, it's huge. Uh, it's a big honor. I was asked to speak on a panel there. And at the time, the other people that had won that award with me that I became close friends with, they were already educators. They were educating and, and doing this stuff. And at the time, I just didn't feel quite ready uh, to step into that role yet. But as time went on and I started to went, you know, be featured in different magazines and win awards and things like that. I just, and I was asked to judge competitions. I was like, okay, maybe it's time for me to share my knowledge. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, it's, it's strange because it was like overnight I had it, within a period of one month, I had three different people reach out to me. Um, one wasn't even a photographer who was like, I can just tell from your branding on your website that you know what you're doing. Could you teach me? Three different people. And so I've been coaching. I, I, I developed a program and I put them through it. And one of them I'm still working with. The other one is actually touring um, all through Southeast Asia. And I helped him develop his tour company. He's also a photographer. Um, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. And, and all the feedback I was getting from them was like, this is so valuable. Everything you're teaching me every week is so valuable. And just watching them. So I took before pictures of their websites and their social media. And um, I, so I can't wait to share the afters because some of them were still in the process. But it's just, it's, and I, I can't take on any more clients right now. But when I get some more time, maybe. <laughs> I think one of the things I've learned from just talking to you is you've went through different transitions where you've had to value your time more and value yourself more and realize that over time and as you build more experience and just based on the feedback you were getting and the demand, your prices had to go up. You became selective about who you worked with. And that is, you know, and maybe sometimes saying no to projects, just like you just said, Lau, like I'm not able to take any more, but I think saying no is some of the hardest things that women have to face, like saying no or just feeling like they have to disappoint somebody, um, but also valuing ourselves and just paying ourselves what we feel we deserve. Do you feel you're there yet? Like I'm getting paid what I deserve. And also what advice do you have for women who are who are pricing, you know, their services or products at certain prices and they just feel like, OK, I deserve more. Like, how would you suggest they make that leap? So for me, I realized whenever I hit, I hit burnout with photography. Um, and what happened was, and, and it, came at, it came at a kind of a perfect time because I started to feel really burnt out because I was taking on so many projects and I was, I was wearing myself thin. I was up all night editing. I mean, I didn't have a life. I missed so much of my, you know, I, and it got to a point you know, at the, at right before the pandemic happened, um, where I was literally flying, I had 23 flights in one month 
from shooting weddings in different countries. Yes. And I love I loved traveling. Oh my gosh, I love traveling so much. So for me, it was a dream, right? But I was missing out on so much of my child's life. And, you know, he was, you know, 11, 12, 13. And well, not 13, he's 14 now, but he was about 11. And I was missing out so much. And he was spending a lot of time with my or his grandma, my mom. And, um, you know, he's autistic, so the transitions were harder on him. And what I, re- I didn't really realize how bad it was until we were forced to stay at home. And I couldn't go anywhere. And that was the first summer I spent at home in like four years. Oh my God. I was traveling nonstop. How did you deal with mom guilt? Like before and after? I'm going to be really honest. I didn't really have as much mom guilt because I was raising him pretty much as a single mom the entire time. So when I was with him, it was like I was putting probably 80% of all of my energy into helping him because he struggled with so many things. So when I got a break, I was like, this is time for me to refill my cup, right? And he really enjoyed spending time with my mom because I would live in the city and my mom lived out in the country and he really likes that environment. So, and my mom helped me raise him too. She was kind of like the other parent. So she was always there like back and forth. Um, So for a long time, it didn't really settle in. I think when it really settled in for me was when I was forced to stay home during the pandemic. And I was like, wow this is nice. A quiet weekend. What's this like in the summertime? Wow. We can go to the pool together. I didn't realize how much I was missing out on until I was forced to stay home and enjoy time and just have that. So honestly, the time that I had to stay home, it was like basically a year and a half. I was pregnant too. I had gotten pregnant right before COVID came out. Oh my gosh. It was a wild time, but I guess it kind of lined up well for me because being pregnant traveling would have been difficult anyway. So Um, all that stuff grounded me and it made me see things in a different light. And I put my camera down for a year and a half. I didn't even pick it up um, because I was just burnt out. You know, I didn't want to even think about it. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, maybe I should pivot into something else. Um, Luckily, I've, I've reignited that passion. I still love photography, but I needed a break to kind of figure out my balance and realize that I needed balance in order to be happy. And I can't just sell my soul to hustle, 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 right? Yeah, COVID is what I think is a real blessing in disguise for mothers, especially working mothers, hustling mothers, just anybody who wanted to just pause but didn't know how to pause because we've all been running at like a million miles an hour. Um, was Did you have any ch- like challenging times during COVID where you're like, okay, I want to get out there or I miss going to an event or I miss like networking or were you like, no, like comfortable, like it was hard for you to come out of that, you know, rut? Because I think we all kind of slowed down to the point where we were like, okay, this is getting really comfortable. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed it because I was pregnant and I didn't want to leave the house. <laughs> I would take walks, but I was like, I'm glad that I don't have to be around people or put on makeup or you put any energy into anything except for like replenishing myself. You know what I mean? So it was not, it was nice to be able to do that, to be able to have that time, um, which was crazy because my, my fiance at the time, well, he wasn't my fiance until 
after that. But anyway, we were together. We were working as a, we were living as a family. Um, and he, you know, he's amazing. He's an amazing stepfather to my son. He's wonderful. And so anyway, um, he, you know, he was forced to stay home too. And it was like most people were, I saw people complaining on Facebook, like, oh my gosh, I can't stand to be here at the house with my kids and I was, and my, my husband. And I was like, wow, we're really loving it. You know, <laughs> we're having a good time. <laughs> so I think it brought us together. No, I agree. I, 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 um, I had just given birth right before COVID. So I spent just like postpartum, just like totally being at home and reading and meditating and spending time with my child and going for walks. Like it was like the most, like there was no formal, there were no events, there was no trips. Like it was such an incredible time for me to bond with my son. So I feel you that like, I'm like, this is awesome. And I think um, other women definitely timed their pregnancies to get pregnant during COVID because they could, you know, take that time to work from home if they work for a company as well. So I felt like that was a gift to so many women <laughs> around the world. Well, it changed. Yes, and it changed the workplace, like, right? It changed the standard. So a lot of places where you'd have to go in and work are now remote, and remote jobs have exploded, which has been huge for women um, to be able to work from home. My gosh, you know, that's what's going to uh, give us the balance that we need. It's no secret that over and over again, we're constantly getting stuck in our careers, which is probably why you're listening to this podcast. You could be stuck or demotivated or uninspired and you don't know who to go to for questions or for connections or someone who's been there, done that, which is why we're building an exciting platform called Playbook. Playbook uses the power of storytelling by game-changing women to help you hack your life, both personally and professionally. We're building a resourceful community where you can find the answers to all your questions from mentors and diverse women that are all trying to figure out the ins and outs of their careers. You can be a part of our story from the very beginning and create and build your legacy with us by becoming a founding member. For a one-time fee of $500, you get a bunch of perks, such as lifetime access to our platform, an official founding member certificate that you can share on LinkedIn, and a testimonial for your LinkedIn page plus 20 scholarships in your name to girls and women from different parts of the world who unfortunately don't have access to the education they need. Check out our website, www.getplaybook.com to learn more about how you can be a founding member of our platform. I want to talk about your relationship with money. So I love talking about money on this podcast. I don't think we talk about it enough, how to get it, how to make it, how to save it, how to invest it. Tell me about your evolving relationship with money. So like, what was some of your limited beliefs or beliefs of money and how did that change over time? Well, I don't know. I think it's crazy because I, when I was growing up, we were, we were very, very poor. You know, I was, I remember my mom, <laughs> it was okay. my mom, um, when I was like three, I remember her standing me on top of like, uh, the floor heater and trying to stretch my shoes out. My feet were in my shoes. She was trying to stretch my shoes out, like warm them up so they would stretch out. And, um, because my mom, my mom's, my mom took in her brother, her little brother and sister and raised them when she was 22 years old, took her and my dad got married and they took in her 12 year old sister and her 15 year old brother and raised them. And then, had me and then two other children. So they were, and so my dad, he ended up going to law school. And so when I was about 13, our financial situation changed drastically. 
So my dad, you know, was making more money than we'd ever seen. Um, and that was a blessing. You know, I, I finally got to step up and, and not struggle so hard that way. But then when I turned 18, and this is just typical for American families, not all American families, but it was for, for mine. Um, my dad was like, well, you're 18. Now you can do whatever you can afford to do. Here's a car. He bought me a nice car, but he's like, you're going to pay the insurance on it and everything else you need to pay for. And I was like, whoa. So I think that was the moment that I was like, all right, never going to rely on anybody else because I don't want anyone else to rip the rug out from under me or have the power over me to be able to uh, dictate money. So I always wanted to control my own money. And from the time I, I, I had to say, I've had an entrepreneurial spirit. I remember when I was 14, I wanted to, there was a job, you know, flyer outside a restaurant. And I was like, I want to apply. I want to work and make my own money. Cause I wanted clothes. I wanted clothes. I think I was like actually 12. No, I was 12, not 14. And they were like, you have to be 14 to get a job. And I was like, I cried. I cried cause I wanted a job. So my dad gave me my first job when I was 14 working for his uh, office, right? I was just filing papers in his office. But by the time I was 18, I'd start, I had uh, actually on my 18th birthday, I drove like 45 minutes just to get um, an Avon kit. And I started my own Avon makeup company. I was like, you know, started that right then. And by the time I was gonna graduate high school, I had already had an apartment two hours away secured. I had two jobs lined up that I was going to start working. I had to, I had to drive home just to go get my diploma, to walk and get my diploma. Um, so I've always been incredibly independent and wanted to maintain my independence. Um, yeah. And I think it's, that's never changed. Entrepreneurial spirits is, is such a fascinating thing. It's innate in so many people and it, it it's like a seed and sometimes I find that some people have it or they don't. Do you believe that it's something that someone can learn or do you feel like you either have it or you don't? I think part of it you can be born with, but I think some of it's situational too. And it also has to do with your self-beliefs or your limiting self-beliefs. I always believed I was destined to do big things and I wanted to, I wanted to get out there and, and do them, right? I wanted to be connected with opportunities. Um, and explore the world. I want to see every country before I die. You know, that's my, my goal is to experience all these cultures and, and connect. And, um, you know, I want, I want to have a, a summer home one day in Italy. You know, that sounds nice to me. Oh, me too. Which area would you like your summer home in? I don't know yet because I haven't explored Italy yet, but I want to take a trip over there just to figure it out. <laughs> so um, I think you should go to Capri first because that's where I would want mine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of dream of that as well. Like I feel, and I do believe that whatever we dream about happens, like we manifest things. Um, I so I think that's a powerful thing women can do more so than anyone else. Um, but we're manifestors and we attract things to ourselves and it's a really powerful tool, um, to make things happen. I love the Italy thing. Like you could have picked any place in the world. You picked Italy. I love it. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about your Netflix documentary. Um, you were recently featured this year in Netflix documentary, The Most Hated Man on the Internet. I'd love to know more about that and how did that go and tell me about your experience. So you had asked me a question earlier. You had said, what was like the hardest time 
you know, the most difficult time that I struggled whenever I was a budding entrepreneur, um, trying to make my, my way in my early twenties with a, with an infant. And, um, you know, I would say before the documentary, I probably wouldn't have even remembered what happened to me because it was so traumatic that I blocked it out. Um, but what happened is uh, when my son was one, his father contacted me and wanted to come visit him, wanted to see see him. And I had left because he was physically abusive. That's why I left California. Um, and, you know, he didn't try to contact me. He didn't want me to have a baby. He had threatened, uh, threatened to kill me, essentially, if I had this baby. Um, and then he physically assaulted me. So I moved home. I had the baby. And a year later, he apologized. He wanted to be a part of his life, see how it works. And so anyway, he came. And he was very, you know, I'm a changed man. I love you. I want to get married. And... Or, you know, I want to I wanna be here. I want to stay here in Arkansas with you. And so I was like, well, okay, let's try it, you know. So we had a wedding. We got married. And, um, you know, it wasn't too long after when the abuse started again. And um, it got to a point where, you know, I... I thought maybe maybe we can work it out together through counseling or something. Um, but I didn't know, you know, there was times when things got better. And, and we were only together for nine months. But uh, one day when I was at work, he told me he was going to cook me dinner. I would, he would have dinner ready for me when I got home. And um, other things. Nice things for me promised all these nice things and around lunchtime I couldn't get a hold of him and I was like what is going on and uh, he I thought something happened you know something bad happened so I sent my neighbor upstairs I kept calling calling usually he'd answer or text back he wouldn't answer so like three hours passed by and I'm like there's no way he's taking a nap so I just I left work and I was driving there and when I was driving there, I had my neighbor, I called my neighbor. I was like, can you go upstairs and check the door, go see if everything's okay? And he said, he's on the phone with me. And he's like, your door is open. And I was like, oh my God. And so I, he's like, okay. He went inside and I'm like, he's like, there's nobody here. And I'm like, what does it look like? You know, was, does it look like somebody had a fight or he said, no. And I said, go into the closet. Okay. And he went in there. I said, look on the left side, because I knew that's where all of his clothes were. And I said, what do you see? He said, there's nothing there. No clothes. So he had taken the rent money and he ran away. I mean, I don't know if I've ever sworn on this podcast, but what a piece of... That's really annoying. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. Good riddance. I don't know. Is he is he still in your life or... He's trying to get um, unsupervised visitation with my child and he hasn't been a part of his life in like a decade. Um but anyway, that's a whole other story. How I ended up getting on the, the Netflix documentary was um, after he left, uh, he, 
him and I, obviously, I didn't talk to him for a while, and he was upset about it, and um, he retaliated, and I woke up one day and found that my nude images that I had sent him while we were married were posted on a bully site, along with pictures of my Facebook profile. Um, and I can't even begin to tell you, but that was the darkest point of my life. I, I literally almost took my own life because I was so ashamed. I was so humiliated by it. And I didn't feel like there was any escape from that humiliation. I felt like I had, you know, dishonored my family. You know, my dad was, you know, uh, an attorney. We were in, we lived in a really small farm town. So I just felt, and everyone was, you know, held there, you know, very modest where I'm from. And so it was not something that I was, you know, I, I felt like I would ever outlive and I felt like it was going to follow me around and no matter where I try to get a job or if I ever tried to speak out or, or level up in any way that it was always going to come back to haunt me um and so I, I became very 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 hopeless and um I I did end up going to see a therapist and therapy is actually what changed my life that's what changed my life therapy and I got on medication at the time um, to help with the depression and anxiety. And up until then, I always just thought it was kind of stigma for people to be on depression medication. Um, but it abs I was just like, once I finally did it, I was like, why didn't I do this sooner? I feel so much better. And then the more I started to dig into it um, and come to terms with it and accept it, uh, the more empowered I felt, right? So, um, it was, I, I saw online where Charlotte Laws had contact this woman, this had happened to her daughter and she, I guess, was going to court with a guy who created this website. And so she was asking victims to reach out and I reached out to her. I sent her an email and I told her my story and what happened to me. And, uh, she asked me if it was okay if she shared it with the FBI. And I said, sure, sure, whatever I can do to help. Um, and then I didn't hear anything back from her for a long time. I mean, I, I got a phone call maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, and, and it was a voicemail. And it was like, this is Charlotte Laws. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. I had blocked it out. I had gone the last decade and not even remembered that it had happened to me because it was so traumatic. I literally had blocked it out of my memory. Um, but so anyway, she ended up asking me if I would want to interview for the Netflix documentary. And at first I was like, I don't know if I want to be known for that or bring up all that old trauma. You know, that's just my life is great right now with my family and my career. Why would I want to do that? You know, I thought long and hard about it. Um, and I decided, well, I have a chance here to help other women and, and my voice can maybe help them. So, yeah, I just went for it. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for sharing your story. It would have been much easier for you not to have to share it on, on this show. But I have heard so much about the learning experiences of women watching that documentary and just getting so many tips on how to deal with their relationships and how to deal with you know, being abused online. So 
I feel like you've made a difference even in this part of the world. I know all my girlfriends saw the documentary and they were like, this is just insane. And I didn't know this kind of stuff existed or I would know what to do if this happened to me. So I just feel like it can, it hit all parts of the world actually. Um, Do you have any advice for women going through online abuse um, and how they can, um, you know, recover from it or deal with it? Yes, a couple of things. So on my, I have an initiative now called Victor by Danielle Green. And essentially it's just the word victim. And there's like a little line through the IM and underneath it, I wrote OR, right? So for me, it's all about focusing on healing first, healing your trauma. And then, um, which for different people, it's going to affect them differently. And it really just depends too, like when it comes to the actual trying to solve it and get it taken down. Um, on my website, I have a resources tab, which this whole, it's all going to be updated pretty soon. And that's the new news I want to share with you in a bit. Um, but there's a resources tab and there's a link where you can search for organizations by the country that you live in. So basically, whatever country that you live in, see if there's an organization. Um, and and the, the problem is right now, even in the U.S., there's no federal law against this. And so that's something that I'm fighting for. Um, so I would just say, like, on the legal end or the process of trying to get it taken down, that's the best methods that I can, I can suggest right now. Um, which hopefully will change, and I want to be a part of that change for not just the U.S., but the world. Um, And as far as internally, like your relationship with yourself goes, the longer that I've gotten into this conversation, the more research I've done into mental health, into understanding the dynamics of why why exactly is it that we end up self-destructing when we're actually the victims, right? What I realized, and I talked about this in, in a podcast with uh, psychology in Seattle. He's a famous psychologist, um, and he, he's amazing. He talks about all kinds of topics and dissects them uh, for people. I don't know if you've ever seen his show on YouTube or anything, but he's amazing. But what I realized is that women are self-destructing and feeling all this shame because women have been controlled by shame. Shame is a manipulation tactic, and people use it to control women. And when you realize that, it's, it frees you inside in some way because you realize that these things that people are doing to you reflects on them, right? What I did, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I sent my husband at the time some photos of myself. In any normal relationship, that would be being a good wife. His actions were wrong. His and him trying to punish me, to shame me, that's on him. So just realizing that people's actions and what they do reflect on what's inside them 
and what their relationship is with themselves. That's what helped me. Do you ever feel like everybody around you has things figured out when it comes to their career except for you? Do you look at successful people and want to figure out how do they make a living doing what they love? Do you ever feel like what you're learning in school and university is not what you see yourself doing? Welcome to Playbook, where we're trying to change the dynamic and reinvent career progression for women. We want to be with you every step of the way as you navigate the challenges in your journey. We're building a platform that gives you a community and content that also uses the power of storytelling through shared experiences by game-changing women who've shattered the glass ceiling. Join our waiting list and be the first to know when the platform goes live. Get on get-playbook.com to sign up to our newsletter and be the first to pilot our new technology. The part about shame is real. I know that in this part of the world, there's a ton of content around shame, whether um, there is an incredible author called Alia Moro. She started a podcast um, in partnership with a woman, with a brand or you know a media brand uh, called Womina, which is all about shame. It's massive in this part of the world. Um, you 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 never win um, if you're too aggressive, if you're too out there, if you take risks. It's just like shame, shame, shame. If you're single, shame. If you're married with kids and you're working, shame. If you're divorced, so much more shame. Um, so it's like it's really tough, and it's such a um, it's such a strong theme. It doesn't matter if you're based in Mina or based in the U.S. Like it's such a power force used over us to put us down uh, and to keep us in a box and to keep us in check. Um, so that's fascinating. And I think it is a freeing. Like when you said it, I just breathed a sigh of relief because um, um, categorizing it as a tool for manipulation is I've never seen it in that way. So it would be easier to spot it and to be like, I'm trying, I'm being manipulated right now, or I'm trying to be controlled right now. Absolutely. That was something that I learned in my research, doing tons of research. I was trying to figure out why, why, why was I so easily manipulated and lied to by this person, you know, because I was so, so naive. I always wanted to see the good in people when I was younger. And so I, I couldn't, when people would take advantage of me, it happened all the time. I just didn't understand how, how it happened, how I didn't see it. And other people could, but I couldn't. So what I did was I started researching personality disorders, manipulation tactics. And when I got deep into that research, I realized that shaming was a severe manipulation tactic that narcissists use. And I was like, oh my God, every man I know is a narcissist. But, you know, noticing patterns is very powerful because then you can finally break the wheel or break the cycle, right? So I think that's really fascinating. Do you have any advice for women who are dealing with physical abuse? Because I know that's different than, um, you know, either verbal abuse or online abuse. Um, Any tips on how to come out of that also circle of shame? I'm going to say this because I've been through that too. The, The person that I got with after... My son's father was physically abusive. And it really took me going to the therapist and hearing from somebody else, not my parents, not my family members, because nobody wants to listen to the people they grew up with. I don't know why. We just don't. You know, I have the best advice in the world for my sister, but she'll never take it from me. But if, like, somebody else tells her, she'll be like, oh, you're right. (laughs) You know? 
Now, the older I get, the more I tune in to things that my parents say. But when I was younger, I was like, you don't know anything. You're old. <laughs> so for, for me, and this is one of the, the, the things that came to me, too, whenever I was talking to psychology in Seattle and, and, and having this discussion, I realized, and I wrote an op-ed about this in the crime report recently, the big underlying underbelly of this cultural abuse that happens where men are in control in a patriarchal system and women are kind of seen as, uh, what's the word, where we're not as important. What's the word? There's a word for that. We're seen as a supporting role, as uh, less than. That all to me, and the reason why we've complied with it for so many years, (laughs) is because we are not, we need to have these conversations with each other. Because the more awareness there is, the more this is going to change. It's a mental health issue, which you can't change what you're not aware of. And a lot of a lot of people, cultures, religions, including the one I grew up in, wanted women to stay quiet, not ask questions. And that is how you keep women in cycles of abuse. You should ask questions. In fact, I think it's educating yourself in mental health, understanding manipulation tactics. Under, if there was a mental health resource where everyone in the world could get free therapy when they needed it. Think about it. All, every instance of violence that you know of, everything from domestic violence to you know, school shootings that happen in the US, all of them are a result of a mental health crisis. So imagine if we were giving mental health education from the time we were in first in school, and it was just a normal part of educating people about mental health and the skills and coping mechanisms that you need whenever you're having a mental health crisis. I think that it would eliminate so much violence from the world. So for me, that's one of the bigger things I like to advocate about. Yeah, mental health, I agree. And I think just like having awareness and self-awareness, just understanding, like you're right, like there's a whole class on physical education, but nothing about controlling your thoughts or quieting your mind or um just like creating headspace like it's so essential to our happiness um and I think it's completely overlooked um I don't even think sometimes it's fully understood like it's also something that is a bit of a buzzword but like really deep diving into what it means and how we can hack it is is so essential um wow Danielle you've been through so much I want to um kind of wrap up on a high note and on just some exciting news about your career and you said earlier on which I love and that's a manifestation as well you know I'm, I'm meant to do great things in this world and I think all your experiences have made you a person that has a lot more empathy a lot more love you're able to see more beauty help others be brave so I feel like in a very in a very it, like all our experiences are gifts really because we're able to like pass it on and, and pass it on to others uh, but I would love to know what's next for you like what are some of your big goals that you'd love to achieve other than your house in Italy 
but what are some of your business goals and just personal goals as well? So this kind of mix in, mixes in with personal. I still have my tech startup that I'm working on. I'm actually um, splitting off with a partner that I founded that with and um, stepping into a new partnership soon, hopefully. So this is, this is the big news I have that I haven't told anyone yet so far. So right now, um, and I got contacted recently by Panorama Global. And Panorama Global is... It's an organization here in the U.S. This woman started it who, I guess she used to work for Bill Gates. Something in some, I, I don't have the whole story straight, but because uh, I've just now been in contact with them in the last few weeks. But essentially she kind of managed some part of his philanthropic endeavors. But she started her own organization um, called Panorama Global. And the purpose of this was to push human rights issues, to get people to rally behind uh, emerging grassroots human right issues that, you know, needed to be boosted up because maybe, you know, someone like me where, you know, I don't have a massive following. So it would help me push IBSA, for example, image-based sexual abuse, um, by connecting me with, with other people uh, who can help. Um, so anyway, I was contacted by, they, they, she, she hired a guy who brought to her the idea of image-based sexual assault. And she's like, okay, uh, I'll pilot a program for three years if you can get some funding. So he ended up getting three major companies to fund uh, this initiative. And one of them was Bumble. Do you guys have Bumble? We don't have Bumble, but Bumble is, um, I mean, a huge success story. So we, or maybe we do have Bumble. I don't know if if, if we're on it, but, or I'm on it, or my friends are on it, but we've heard of Bumble as a platform, yes. Right. It's a dating platform. So, you know, for them to get behind it and fund it, I thought was phenomenal. I mean, I have to give some applause for them. Because um, a lot of, a lot of other big tech companies kind of ignored this issue. So anyway, they, they funded it, um, so they held this summit where they had all these victims come together. They were looking for initiatives that people were starting to help, you know, combat this. So anyway, through this, um, some people connected, and uh, those people ended up reaching out to me because one of the one of the persons, her name is Uros, actually. She's an actress out in LA. She has a massive following. She has like twenty million. Followers. I would love to connect you guys too, because um, I believe that she, her heritage. I know that she she speaks Swedish, and I think she speaks. I can't remember if it's Farsi or something else, but her first language. She was born in the Middle East, so I think it would be really relevant to have to meet her. Um, yeah, she's amazing. She's become you know a close friend just over the past couple of weeks, and and we're working really hard together now. Uh, she helped um, a senator write a bill to be proposed. So I'm going with her next year to the White House to speak uh, to try to get this bill passed that would um, create a federal law against image-based sexual abuse. But anyway, all that aside, um, Panorama Global ended up reaching out to me, and I, they didn't even know about my Victor brand because Victor is a brand, it's actually, you know, it's a logo, but I put it on a, you know, t-shirts and women's activewear, 
uh, it's like Lulu Quality Active Wear. And um, so I have a website. I haven't really been able to market it much because I've been so busy, but it's there, right? And so anyway, I told, I told the director of this program about it and she went and looked it up and she was like, oh my God, this is it. This is it. She's like, we've been looking. She's like, you're the only victim that has like a branded uh, initiative for this. And she's like, We're, we want to make this into a global campaign. So I was like, oh, well, tell me about it. What's the global campaign about? So she's going to speak in, in Lisbon this weekend. Um, and she's going to wear my shirt to talk to a bunch of tech leaders and tell them about this global campaign. And what she's doing is she's trying to, well, she's not trying to, she's holding a summit in Miami um, in February. And I will be a guest speaker. Or I'll be a keynote speaker there, along with Uldos. And... Um, it's a conference, it's a summit for, you know, tech leaders, uh, powerful women, women in business, uh, anyone who wants to support this movement. We're, we're wanting to put together a global action committee so we can band together as a worldwide organization, worldwide committee to help lift each other up and help, you know, attack this from a bigger standpoint. If we have people from all over the world pressuring the U.S. to you know, create a federal law, it's going to happen. And then we can use, you know, it's kind of like how NATO works, but it's for, <laughs> it's for, it's for, to support, you know, this issue. So that's what we're trying to do. And so, um, so I'm really, really pumped about that. Everybody who comes will, uh, get one of my shirts, which is awesome and, um, get to, you know, meet other people. And what we're trying to do is, is get a representative from each country to come, so if you know anybody, or if anybody wants to be a part of this, contact me. This sounds amazing. I just love how one thing leads to another and like more doors are opening and more opportunities are opening, especially for you as a personal brand to be a speaker on so many important subjects. Um, before we wrap up, I'd love to ask this question of all my guests, uh, which is what do you believe is your superpower? I think my superpower is... It's got to be grit and bravery. And it's probably just pure rebelliousness. <laughs> because I want to see a future for women where we, we have true equality. Not fake equality where we're just given the same opportunities as men. But that we live in a society that gives us the support we need as mothers so that we can actually reach the same goals that men have. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Women Power Podcast. And thank you for downloading and streaming our podcast every week. If you love what you've heard, tag us on Instagram and follow the Women Power Podcast and Women Power Summit account for more information on our next episode. Please leave a rating review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps other women discover the show. That's it from me. See you next week.